fearless family. And I remember, you know, when Julie and I still had kids at home, we're obviously empty nesters at this point. I mean, not obviously, but we are empty nesters. Give me a high five on the empty nest. But anyway, when our kids were at home, for us to get a meal around the table meant that we almost always had to do it at breakfast because our kids' schedules and games and all that kind of stuff was, and it was fascinating the dynamic that would happen around our table around breakfast. You know, it was really kind of funny because we had some incredible moments, and I think a lot of people can relate to family meals around the table. You've got the best of times, you've got the worst of times. You know, when you're in the middle of a meal and maybe two people in the family kind of start going at it and it gets kind of awkward and everyone's like, like that. So family table, I think, is a great, great setup for where we're going throughout this series Fearless family, because it's for everybody. You know, there's a little bit of a risk when you label a series family this or family that or fearless family that some people in the room, some maybe single adults or maybe students may kind of check out and go, man, that's not for me, that's for old people or whatever. But the fact of the matter is we are all, every single one of us, a part of and a product of a family. That's just part of what it means to be a human being. And so it's really important that we get our arms around what this looks like to be a part of and to understand, I think, even more so what God's design and God's desire for the family really is. And I think it's so important as we, you know, are going to dig down into the super practical to and see what God can do in his supernatural ways that we start by looking at his ideal. What was God's purpose in creating the family? We're going to take a step back and look at what he intends the family to look like. Um, now, I have had glasses since I was in second grade, and I am legally blind. My hand's blurry about right here when I don't have my contacts in. But so I have to wear glasses at night, and I'm not really great at taking care of my glasses because quite often I fall asleep with them on, and I wake up and, you know, because something's poking in my side or something like that. So my glasses, you know, I really put them to the test. And there was, um, I guess I'd had a pair for about a year when I realized they weren't really fitting my face anymore. And anybody who has glasses knows that eventually they end up like this, you know, especially if you sleep on them. And they don't fit on your face. Well, I wasn't quite ready to invest in new glasses, you know, because I'm so blind, my glasses are not cheap. And so I thought, you know, I could wait, I could make it work. And so I'm sorry, I got to interrupt you. Julie is very, very frugal, yeah. but her not getting glasses has nothing to do with saving money. You just need to understand, Julie hates, hates to take the time, to make the time to go to the doctor, to go get the prescription checked, and then go get eyeglasses. It's a lot more chronological than it is financial. I just want to kind of make sure everybody understands really what we're dealing with I don't with know here. why. That has nothing to do with my story. So, um, so my glasses you were, were kind like of, You this. were kind of starting to mislead the, the no, flock a little. No, no. <laughs> uh, so this is what happened. So I thought, well, I don't need to go get new glasses yet. I can fix these. So every night, I would get a little piece of paper or toilet paper, and I would fold it up, and I would put it right there in the hinge so it fit just on my face just right, and then I could get through the night. Well, that kind of got annoying because obviously the paper fell out every time, you know, in the bed somewhere when I fell asleep with my glasses on. So then I got really clever and I rolled up scotch tape and I put little folds of scotch tape right there so they fit me just right. Well, 
that kept falling off after a while. So I came up with what I believe was a genius plan. I got the hot glue gun, and I folded my glasses like this, and I put a little dot on each side, and I waited, and I waited until just the right moment, the cool enough temperature where it would mold but not smush the glue dot. And so I opened them just right, and I held them until, and then I put them on, and they were perfect. And it is true that I could not wear them in public because the glue dots were extremely visible. <laughs> and um, it's also true that on occasion the glue dot would fall off and I would have to try it again. But what I felt like was a great <laughs> fix. You know, looking back, those were my, my, my Calvin Klein glasses. I vividly mm. remember because I remember looking at them with the big glue dots and I'm like, Calvin would be so upset with me. <laughs> this is not what Calvin had in mind when he designed these glasses. Because the fact of the matter is, even though they were kind of fitting on my head a little better, they were not functioning the way they were designed to function. This was not what the creator of the glasses had in mind. You see where I'm going with this. Um, you see, oftentimes we misunderstand and misuse and mess with God's design with the family. And we are frustrated when it doesn't work exactly how we expect it to. All of these family relationships, whether it's parent and child, spouse, adult child and parent, um, grandparent, aunt, uncle, in-law, whatever it is, what we miss out on, what we miss is when we mess with God's design. And the truth of the matter is, God has this ideal picture, this design in which a father and mother work together to raise up these children. But there is not a home in the world, there is certainly not a family on this planet that is without brokenness. And sometimes we find a quick fix, a little DIY project to get by, to survive, and maybe even to escape the reality of our family. And we're missing what God has for us, what His plan is, what His design is for family, what His desire is for our families. So what we're going to do today to start this whole series is to take a step back. And before we get into the nitty-gritty, let's see what God's ideal is. Because when we understand his ideal, we're better able to pinpoint the sources of our frustration when we are missing the mark. And so, let's back up. What is God's ideal? God's design is that it is in the family that we first learn connection and acceptance and unconditional love. Connection, acceptance, and unconditional love. That is his design, that is his desire, that we as parents create an environment in which the children know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am loved, I am accepted, I am experiencing this need for connection. It's one of our basic needs is connection with other people. And in God's ideal world, in his design, his desire is that we first experience that in the family. So it's not just though connection and unconditional love, but it's also in that family that he desires us to learn about trust and obedience. You see, God gives parents the authority to then be the authority for their children, to create an environment in which these children know, I am loved, I am accepted, I have connection with them, so that when given rules, when given regulations, when given instruction, even when they don't understand that instruction, they trust, 
that the people who are giving that instruction love them and have their best interest in mind. It's the perfect model to set our children up as teenagers and young adults to look at God that way. When they are older and they say, I don't understand this command from God. I don't understand the way God says that this I'm supposed to do this. I will trust and obey because I know that his commands are a reflection of an expression of his love. So that is what they learn in his ideal family. In God's design, parenting is preparation for a person's relationship with God. The truth is, though, we all fall short. Every parent, every child, every teenager, every grandparent, whatever the role you play, everyone falls short. But we are always striving to for God's best. And so we do our best and trust him with the rest. And that's so important. You know, that's a really loaded statement right there. We will do our best and trust him with the rest. I love what Winston Churchill said to the the nation of England and Great Britain in the throes of World War II. Sometimes it is not enough that we do our best. We must do what is required. How many of you know that sometimes in the family your best is not enough? Could I just see a show of hands? I thought we'd get at least one amen out of that. I mean, sometimes, but, but here's why. Because this, this vision, this dream that God has called us to as part of a family is so amazing. It is so overwhelming, so powerful that we literally cannot do it on our own. It requires, it in a loving way, it demands that we engage with God, that we participate and partner with God to see it become a reality in our homes. If you go all the way back to the beginning of when God began articulating what a relationship looks like between God and people in the law of Moses, the the Ten Commandments, and the Mosaic Law. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's there that you see God establishes the family as the primary vehicle for truth, for wisdom, for understanding and, and living out this thing called family. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you miss it in here, it's literally carved on the wall in the LHC Kids Building when you go pick up your kids. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 and following says... You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Remember, Jesus said that's the greatest commandment. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. That means mom and dad know them. They, they own it. Talk about them when you were at home and when you were on the road, when you were going to bed and when you were getting up. Basically, everything is a teachable moment within the context of family. What God is saying here is that the family is the tip of the spear spiritually. What happens at home doesn't stay at home. What happens at home is the beginning of understanding and wisdom and knowing who God is and then what that looks like, living it out into the world. But it wasn't just an Old Testament Ten Commandments kind of thing. All the way over in the New Testament, God uses this idea of family to explain and to help us understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, they're, they're really interchangeable throughout the New Testament. You can't understand the Jesus thing or the gospel without understanding family. And you can't understand family without understanding and owning the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in Ephesians 1.5. God decided in advance, 
See, so God's intentional about this. This is very deliberate. It's not just like, oh, that would be a good idea. He says he decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So going back to what Julie mentioned a moment ago, the fact of the matter is we all fall short, not only in family, but in life in general. We, we have all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God, which means we are spiritual descendants of Adam and Eve. We, we've all inherited this, this predisposition towards sin. I've got it. You've got it. All God's children got sin in their lives. So what that means is that we're born not in the family of God. We, we're born into this world not in relationship and connected to God because he is holy. He is morally flawless and perfect, and he will not lower his standards just so we can get in the game. But he provided us Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, that Jesus is our way to forgiveness, completion, wholeness, healing in every part of our lives so that we can be reunited and adopted into the family of God. But it's not just about family. Look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, Paul is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Can we just take a time out right there? Would somebody shout amen that people grow up? and leave mommy and daddy behind. We love mommy and daddy. We always honor mommy and daddy. But at a certain point, go. And quit calling them mommy and daddy. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're from the South, and that's a whole other sermon. But I'm just saying, a man will leave, and a woman will leave their father and mother and be united to their spouse and the two are united into one. That uniting into one doesn't happen unless you leave. And it can be really crowded if you don't. That's the laugh of recognition. You know what I'm talking about. And then Paul said, I love this greatest understatement in the whole Bible. This is a great mystery. That two people from two separate families, two separate genders, come together to become one. That is a mystery. But... It is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So this thing called marriage, this thing called family, is not just about the family and the marriage. Take this marriage right here. Julie and I, we got married 26 and a half years ago, 27, I wasn't asking, I know, yeah, 26 good job. and a half years ago. Good job. You were looking like you were wondering. That's I wasn't. Good, though. I, I That's had good. it. That's good. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a question of date, it was a question of math, which you know is a challenge for me. But 26 and a half years of wedded bliss, it ain't just about Mac and Julie. It's not just about us becoming one. It's not just about if God should bless and we have children. It's not just about what happens between us. This is ultimately a spiritual endeavor because God wants to use this marriage like he wants to use your marriage, like he wants to use every God-honoring, gospel-driven marriage to reflect the depth and the breadth of the love that he has for people. It's not about you. Tell your neighbor like you mean it. It ain't about you. It ain't, it ain't about, about you. you. Now tell him this too. It ain't about me. It ain't about me. Now. 
This is a staggering reality if you're not married. How many of you are not married right now? Can I just see a show of hands? If you're not married, get your hands up, man. That's awesome. Paul says you've got a special place in the kingdom of God. Y'all can do stuff. Y'all are undistracted. That's great. Now, marriage is a holy distraction, so it's okay. But I'm just saying, if you're not married, that's a good thing. But what that means is who you date really matters. Because statistically, more than 90% of people in America marry somebody they date. <laughs> Took you a moment, but you got there. I got that. Now, I personally am lobbying and working on the reinstitution of arranged marriages, but I haven't been able to do it yet. I'm not there yet. So for the time being, most of you, if you get married, it will be somebody that you've dated. So when you understand that every person you date could potentially be a mate. Ooh. All of a sudden, the stakes rise exponentially. Now, that doesn't mean that every date is a test for marriage. It's not. It doesn't have to be. Don't make it that. You can just go out for fun, maybe. But if you go out a second time, a third time, fourth time, fifth time, as it progresses, just remember, this is the purpose that you're dating toward. You will marry somebody you date. So keep in mind that your marriage, ultimately, it's not about you. It's about reflecting the love of God for his people, Christ, and the church. That's a big, big deal. It, it is a huge deal, and that is another reason we are teaching. We're doing Fearless Family for the students, too. And so Mac and I will teach this Wednesday and the next couple of Wednesdays because we believe that the earlier you can learn God's design and his desire, the better off you are. If you understand God's purpose for marriage, you will date better. If you understand that your life works better when you submit your life to his laws and your ways to his word, the earlier you can learn his ideal, his design and desire, the better off you are. And everyone Everyone, turn to your neighbor and say everyone. everyone. Everyone has a role to play in the family. Yes, the um, adults in the family have the um, responsibility to train up and to teach the children. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The Bible is very clear, hands the responsibility of authority to the parent. But right after Paul talks about marriage, he goes into Ephesians 6. Children, uh-oh, who's he addressing? The children. The children. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. This is a great memory verse, verse 3. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. <laughs> and you will have a long life. Yes. Can we get an amen on that? Amen. This is a great, you know what? I don't know why we don't have these printed and put on the refrigerator. If you obey me, you're, you will live longer. Uh -huh. <laughs> Your life will go better. And, and this is so great. This says that everyone in the family has a responsibility. Yeah. Yes, the parents have the responsibility to be the authority. But the children have the responsibility to obey 
everyone plays a role. This is true even if you don't have children in your home. This is true even if it's other children that are in your home. The generation of adults, we collectively have the responsibility to train up, to raise up the next generation. Whether you gave birth or you live with these children or not, it is a group effort here. We are raising up the next generation. We have a responsibility and so do the young people. And here's the deal. There is purpose in God's structure. There is purpose in everything he does. And when we embrace that role, even when we don't understand, life just works better. So it's so important that you know your role. Understand what your role is in your family. If you are the parent of an adult child who is married, know your role. Know your role. Your role is to fight for that marriage. Never be a wedge. Know your role. If you are the mother-in-law, if you are the, the mother of the adult child who's married, know your role. If you are an adult sibling and you are now working with your siblings to take care of an aging parent, know your role. Communicate about your role. Communication is so important. Clarity fuels the unity in a family. So I have to understand my role. Mac and I talk about our various roles. It's so important that you know your role and you get on the same page with other people in your family. You know, I'm, I'm going to say something too. We, I didn't say this in the first service, but I think it's really important what you just said. You know, I didn't find out about this until Julie and I had been married for maybe a few months or a year or so. One of the greatest gifts that anybody has ever given me came from my father-in-law. When we got married, I was a part-time student pastor and in seminary. Julie was doing her student teaching. And I mean, I, th I think our collective income was $750 a month before taxes. My income was zero. Right. So that's easy math. That's why I say collective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seven, yeah. But here's, here's what Julie's dad said to her the week that we got married. I found out about this later. He said, he told her, I wasn't in the room, but he said, you know, if you ever need anything, I'm a phone call away, but I'm not sending you a dime because I would never want to make Mac think that I didn't think he wasn't doing his job. The greatest gift a father-in-law could ever give to a son-in-law, the greatest gift that parents of adult children can give to their adult children is to let them figure it out. Let them figure out how they're going to meet their new responsibility. Because here's the deal. If you're old enough to get married, if you're old enough to graduate from college, you're old enough to buy your own food. Good luck. So I'm just telling you, that is the biblical model. And we will jack up our kids by giving them too much, by doing too much. And it also creates emotional ties that, that hinder leaving mommy and daddy and being united into one. So I'm just telling you, that, uh, that is a massive, massive deal. Julie's dad was very clear about his role. His role was to prepare her to move out, and he chose by the grace of God, to pay for the wedding, and then it was good luck. That is the biblical model. That's But so you know, anyway. yes, and I think so many times... Now, let um, me say this, too. I wish he hadn't let us struggle. I, I, there was, I mean, it was like, he said, what? Yeah, I was like, Dad, are you serious? What? <laughs> he but gave, it was. Yeah. It was the best thing. It was the best thing. It was. It yeah, was, it was totally the best thing. But, but again, I think when we, understand, when we know our roles and we understand them, 
as Julie said just a second ago so eloquently, clarity fuels unity. When you understand your role, I keep hearing, when I think know your role, does anybody else think about The Rock? That's what The Rock used to say in, in WWE, know your role. So know your role, know where you fit, and, and then play that game. Play, let, play your game. Don't try to play somebody else's game. I was 13 years old when I started to understand this concept. I, I've shared with y'all a lot before. You know, my parents divorced when I was in middle school. But I'll never forget a conversation that we had. My mom sat my two brothers and me down. I was 13 and my brothers were 10. And she, she sat us down in our living room in Houston. And she said, and my mom, for those of you who haven't met her, she's around here a good bit because she's in Austin every, you know, every now and then, she and her husband. Um, but she, she's not a big girl. She's, she's, you know, five foot three. I mean, she's not big, but she plays bigger than she really is. And she sat us down and she said, I need you all to understand something. Just because I am not six feet tall and do not have a bass voice does not mean that you do not have to listen to me. For better or worse, I am in charge. I didn't ask for this, but here we are. So if this is going to work, I need you to do what I tell you to do. I don't need a lot of guff. I need you to do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. Are we clear? Is anybody else scared? I get scared just telling that story. <coughs> I remember that. I just told you the story verbatim as it happened. That was 38 years ago that conversation happened. But it was in that conversation that, I, that it clicked with me and I went, okay. God has mom here as the authority for this to work right. And that's a good thing because I knew at 13, I didn't want to be in charge. I didn't like everything she told me to do. And I would love to tell you, by the way, that from that moment forward throughout my growing up years, every time that I disagreed with my mother, I said, Mom, you're right. And I remember what you told us that time when you said you were in charge because God had put you there. Thank you for the wisdom and understanding of the years that you have imparted to me. And I will do what you said, even though I don't understand it, in order to glorify God and help our family to work better. <laughs> that didn't happen. I, I was the quintessential kind of strong-willed child. Mom and I butted heads more than a little bit. But that was on me. But I remember it started to click that authority from God is a gift. Authority from God is a gift. Students, you don't want to be in charge. You don't want to pay the bills. You don't want to live in the house that you can afford. <laughs> you <laughs> need to understand, we, as parents need to understand, that when we exercise that authority appropriately in a way that honors and glorifies God in the way he wants it to, it's a gift to our children. Students, you need to understand that. Your parents, you don't mean you have to agree with everything. It doesn't mean, they're not, it doesn't mean that we as parents don't make mistakes. But even when we make mistakes, we're still in charge. So one of the greatest things we can do as parents is to apologize when we're wrong and to parent from a posture of serving and equipping our kids to be everything God's created them to be, but also own the responsibility. Um, it's... So interesting, I think, families, because family relationships have the possibility to either be the most fulfilling 
or the most frustrating. And so I believe often they are the most fulfilling when we are submitting our life to his, our, you know, his laws and our ways to his word. But when humanity, when brokenness enters the picture, it does cause frustration. Parents are not perfect. We do not live in a perfect world. We live in a fallen world. And so because families are made up of people, it only makes sense that there would be some frustration. When, you know, I told you, I said that um, God has purpose in his structure. When we misunderstand and we, when we mess with his structure, then we can contribute to that frustration. And part of that is perhaps an adult with an adult child not letting go. Of course, that's going to cause frustration. There is frustration often in the teenage years when the mom or dad is knowing that the letting go is coming and is very resistant to it. There is frustration in the um, in-law relationship oftentimes when we don't understand the leave and cleave. There is frustration between adult siblings when we've not communicated clearly and one sibling may be shirking or avoiding their responsibility to help take care of the adult. We live in a fallen world. We will not do it perfectly. Backing up, understanding God's ideal helps us to pinpoint the source of the frustration. Also, when we live with families, we live with people. Um, maybe mental health issues enter the picture. Addiction enters the picture. There is some serious um, stuff going on in families that contribute to the frustration and the chaos in a family. This is the thing with serious issues like that, whether it is a mental health issue or it is addiction. It affects everyone. It's like, stay with me, glitter at Christmas. If you walk into my house during Christmas, I don't have glitter everywhere, but you'll walk out somehow with glitter on you <laughs> because I have a glitter in a few places. And so it somehow gets on everybody who walks through my house. That's the same with mental health issues or with addiction. It affects everybody in the family. Even if one person is the true sufferer, then it affects everyone and it causes frustration. And we have to face it as a family. The deal with mental health and the deal with addiction, secrets are like mold. They grow in the dark. We have to speak it into the light. We have to say, we need help. We're going to get help. We know for a fact that God's design, his desire, is for us to live a full life. John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy your family, your marriage, the joy that you have. But I have come, Jesus says, that you may have life and life to the full, an overflowing life, an abundant life. Here's the deal. If you are living in a relationship with Jesus and you are not living that full life, do some self-examination and say, how can I get there? I know his design and his desire is for me to live there. And so I want to do the work to get there. And it affects everybody in the whole family. And sometimes, sometimes you need some help. Sometimes we're going to say this throughout this series because we are such big believers in Christian counseling. Going to talk to somebody who understands our emotions, the way our minds operate with an understanding of biblical truth and grace. Sometimes it, sometimes it can take one session, one conversation, or maybe two, to just tweak the way you're thinking about a family situation or an issue that, that maybe is not as, as profound as addiction or a significant mental health issue. 
but it's got you sideways. It's kind of skewed the picture a little bit. The, the illustration that I love to use is, you know, when I was in the fifth grade, I broke my leg one morning before school playing keep away. And, uh, you know, there's both bones all the way through about three inches above the ankle. And, I mean, I went down. And they, you know, kind of scooped me up, put me in the back of my mom's 1975 Chevrolet station wagon, had the faux wood paneling. It was sweet. Eight-track player. Took me to the hospital and set the leg, put me in a hip cast to let the leg heal. I'll tell you what I did not do when I broke my leg in fifth grade. I did not get up and go, you know what? I'm just going to kind of walk this off. It's going to be no big deal. It's just a broken leg. I'm fine. You break a bone, you go to the hospital. You, you have somebody look at it. Our minds, and, and maybe it's not even our minds that are quote-unquote broken. Sometimes it's just our thought patterns. Sometimes it's just the habits that we've picked up over years, maybe from our families of origin, that, that need to be adjusted. What did Paul say in the book of Romans? He said, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. mind. The way we think, the way we approach conflict in marriage, hypothetically, the way we approach parenting, the way we approach being a, a child in the family, whether we're still at home or we're an adult child, counseling can be such a massive, massive help. But, but here, here's the bottom line in all of this, that ultimately... Our relationships within the family, it is God's design and his desire that they would point us toward a relationship with God. That our relationship with God would then inform our relationship with our families. Now, I, I don't know where you are this morning. I, I don't know what kind of a family you come from, what kind of a family you're in or not in right now, but I do know this. The God who raised Jesus from the dead is all about new life. Last week we celebrated Easter. Room was packed. People in pastels cleaned up. Kids hunting for eggs. And that's great as far as that goes. But Easter, what happened at Easter doesn't stay at Easter. This is about new life in every part of our lives. And the family, as we've already established, is the tip of the spear for where we are spiritually. And so it's imperative that we own that and understand that. And so, you know, this may have started out for you as a conversation about family, but, but the reality is it goes much, much deeper than that. It, it literally goes to the soul of who you are, of who we are, as people created in the image of God for a relationship with God. And if you're here today and you, you've never stepped into that relationship with God, you've never owned the reality of Easter personally, then in just a moment we want to give you the opportunity to do that, to, to step into that and allow the power and the presence of Jesus to permeate every part of your life, to make a difference, because the fact, the reality is, that everything that Jesus touches gets better, gets stronger, gets healthier, gets more alive, more full, more well. And so we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. If you don't mind, just bow your heads for a moment, just right where you are. You know, it may surprise you 
how uncomplicated it is to step into this relationship. Just to begin by saying a prayer, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning. Just in your own words, something like this, just right where you are. Silently talk to God and just tell him, just say right where, right where you are in your own words, just say, Jesus, I need you. And I'm asking you to adopt me into your family. I confess my sin to you, holding none of it back. But I confess all of it in order to claim all of your forgiveness, all of your amazing grace. Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that you rose again for me. And so right now, in exchange for your life, I give you my life. I will follow you. I will love you. I will honor you with everything that I have from this moment forward. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I want to ask you just for a moment to remain with your heads bowed. And, and we bow our heads as a symbol, as a sign of humility, because this is a holy moment. Holy means that it's, it's set apart for sacred purposes. But if that was your prayer, this is the greatest moment of your life. And as a church, we, we want to be a family with you and around you. We want to help. As you grow in this faith, in this relationship with Jesus. And so if you would, just before you leave, let us know that God did that in your life and that you responded. First of all, if you would, just take the Connect card that's in the program. And even, even now, just start filling that out. And as you, as you fill it out, you'll notice about halfway down, there's a place to indicate there, I committed my life to Christ this week. Once you finish the card, you can tear it off at the perforation. And then on your way out the door today, or maybe under the blue awning out on the big porch, just hand that to one of our ushers, one of our hosts. Because today's your day. Today is the day that you responded to the amazing grace of God. And then second of all, as our heads are bowed for just a brief moment more, for those of you who prayed that prayer and you stepped into that faith relationship with Jesus, would you just raise your hand? Just quietly but decisively and unmistakably over your head. 
physically representing that spiritual commitment stamping this moment in, in your life personally but also in the life of this church because you need to understand there's nothing more important to us than this moment in your life and others like it and so we honor that and we celebrate it we actually have a family tradition you can go ahead and put your hands down and we're going to put our hands together just to tell you welcome home and welcome to the family